The third chapter of Isaiah. I think we just started this chapter. It says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by name. I don't know if it seems peculiar or researching and looking at it. Notice the two names there. It says, Fear not thou that I created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. He refers to Jacob and Israel. So we're just not talking about the old man and the new man. Jacob was a supplanter. Jacob is our old nature. It's, you remember Jacob, he calls Jacob a worm at time or whatever. That new nature keeps coming forward. That's what we're putting the diff. That's what fears. That's what causes fear in our life or whatever. Israel is the Israel of God. That's the New Testament church. That's us that are born again. That's us who he had called and he had begotten again. And he hadn't given us a spirit of fear. So what we have to do is get rid of the fear that the old man carries around. Because he's dead and he don't have a better understanding. But the new man, we fear and reverence Jesus Christ. We fear and reverence God. Let him be our fear. Let him be our dread. So we don't fear man. We don't fear what can happen or the different things because now we're in charge. Notice he uses the word, he says, I've redeemed thee. In other words, I've called thee by name. Thou art mine. If we belong to him, if we're his elect, in that belief is that he cares for us, our protection and everything else is in his hands. He, he's in charge of that. No one can do us anything. So that's why he says, fret that doesn't self because of evil doers. In other words, there's no longer anything for us to fear those of us that are in Christ Jesus. Tribulation, the things you go through every day, all through life and, and everything, we have to believe that he's with us. Second verse, it says, when thou passest through the waters, it could be, a lot of people say physical, but it's metaphorical, it, it's symbolic. In other words, it's troubles. It's times when seem to be, have you ever had something that seemed like it's overwhelming or it's to come up <coughs> to your neck? It's almost as if though you can't cross Jordan. So, so many things coming after you. It says, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. In other words, they won't suffocate you. The problems and things going on in life, it's not so overwhelming that it should overtake you. That it should cause consternation on your part. That it should cause confusion or dread on your part. Because you're trusting in the Lord that's going to bring you through. Now he's talking to a people here. That's about, they will go into captivity in Babylon. They will have many trials and tribulations. There's going to be much suffering and hardship. Plus, we're looking at the millennial reign during this time that we're looking at coming through when we get, as we go through the great tribulation. We're going to have to do it not like the children did crossing the Red Sea. That was our examples and how many of them that he destroyed 
because what? Of their murmuring, mumbling and complaining. They're not believing in God. Even Moses didn't enter into the promised land. See, because if we don't take heed to ourselves, everything that we do has to be in Christ. It has to be led by the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God didn't, it's not a spirit of fear, but it's a spirit that finds its rest in Christ Jesus. It says, when thou walkest through the fire. Now, I know we know that the fire is trial and tribulation. The Hebrew boys showed us that, that that's trial and tribulation. That's through the hardships and the things that are in the world. He's with us in the fire, but he says, and the fire shall not burn thee. He says, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flames kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel. I'm thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thine ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee, therefore will I give men for thee and people for thine life. So if we have that from him telling us, stop fearing. Don't be fretful and worrying that we are his. And if we cast all our cares and burdens upon him, we're trusting him to take care of those for us, right? So we should be a people without fears, worry, and anxieties. But society and life is caused to bring those up on you. But as children of God, we must remain temperate, patient, enduring, and able to help others during this time. In other words, to be able to keep our calm. You can't see where Jesus was out of control in any situation because he knew everything was in God's control. Everything was in the hands of God. Evil or whatever come upon you, we knowing that God is tempering this and that God is with us and nothing shall be able to harm us. We don't even fear death because he's been taking the sting and the victory out of it. But our faith, Jacob, that human side of us, shows us that a lot of us Christians aren't as strong. We don't have as much faith as others. Our faith is lacking. We hadn't grown in faith. A growth in faith gives you a calmness, a prudence in all situations. Where prudence and able to be able to conduct yourself wisely among people. You remember Daniel and his Hebrew friends, they conducted themselves wisely. That's an attribute from God. What causes fear? Some of the causes of fear. Matthew 14, 25, 31 about Peter walking on the water to Jesus. We see that doubt causes fear. But we also see a hint of how we can combat that fear and get it under control. That's keeping our eye upon Jesus. Keeping our eye focused upon. But we have to learn how to combat our fears and get those under control. That's some of the 
of being a child of God. As long as Peter kept his focus on Christ, he could do the impossible. But once he began walking by sight, fear gripped him and he began to sink. Once we start focusing upon the things and the people and that it's upon us to get this done and it's not that God's going to get it done. When we take our focus on being spirit-led, when we try to handle and control the situations, it overpowers us. That's what happened with Cain. He says, fear life, sin life at the door and it's, it's desire is to master you. If it can, if Satan can cause you to be angry, if Satan can cause you to be bitter or resentful, if Satan can bring things into your life where you produce things contrary to children of God, we know what the works of the flesh are, but we know what the fruit of the patience of God is, the fruit of the Spirit is. God's word should be producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. If we're the church, if we're God's children, it produces the fruit of the Spirit. But if we still carnal, if that part of us are controlling us, we still are Jacob. We're still wrestling. We're still fighting and striving. We're still conniving and scheming. That's the old man. That's what we have to pull off. We have to put up on Christ. We have to put Christ up on us. It says, under its control, he was no longer able to do the impossible. Stop walking on war. He stopped. A lot of times, God working in our lives. Other people, things come into our lives and seem like the anointing of something leaves. Seem like something is gone. We're not in the presence of God. Uh, it causes fear. Now we have to control this. Saul told Samuel the reason he offered up a sacrifice, he was in fear that the Philistines had came up against him. He didn't see Samuel. Samuel didn't come when he told him to, but he was in fear. Fear causes us to do things. Uh, it causes us to work contrary to God. But notice how many times in the Bible... When he comes up to any of his servants, any of the people of God, he says, fear not. When the angel or something comes to him, he says, fear not. The angel don't want to startle you or scare you or whatever. Fear not. Fear has its basis in doubting God, not believing or trusting God. Even though fear is a natural human emotion, do we control it or does it control us? We have to learn to control it. I give you Genesis one more time. Genesis 4 and 7. When God speaks to Cain, he says, If you do well, that is, believing me and doing what is acceptable and pleasing to me. That's what you said in your prayer, that we want to please God, lift him up and do what's good. Long as our focus is upon God and not upon ourselves, Cain must have got it. Didn't have his focus upon God; it was upon self or a resentment of his brother or something Abel had done or whatever. But it caused him to do the wrong thing. It says, "If you do well, that is believing me and doing what is acceptable and pleasing, will you not be accepted?" 
But if you do not do well, but ignore my instructions, his instructions, he is his word, his statutes, his precepts, his commandments, that which is in the word of God is his instructions. That's how we overcome fear. That's how we overcome the world. That's how we overcome the things of the world. By walking in his word. Staying in him. He says, if you continue in my word. He says, but if you ignore my instruction, sin crouches. A sin is at the door. Its desire is for you. That is to overpower you. But you must master it. You must control it. Sin works through people. It's a spirit. And I tell you, it's the spirit of this world. It's the spirit that we see that's very competitive right now. It's very angry. It's very violent. It's very facetious. It's very argumentative. It's loud and it's destructive. And that's within the churches and within all the world. That's the spirit that has, is pervading the churches has come into the churches nowadays and we see that we see that within just like Paul said he see another law within his members we see that law within us we see it within the church very violent and disruptive church people we have a nation that's talking about national Christianity this is another article I pulled uh, and it's a story by Tom Bogino and it was on the news service. It says, churches call out for saying, staying silent about abusive bag of members and their violent addicts. How violent they are. The violence that the churches is drumming up. Now these are Christian people now. Christian author David Dark called out religious institutions that turn a blind eye to high profile members of their congregation who are not only abusive, but also threaten to incite violence. Uh, and they go on, and uh, I got this article for y'all, but it go on to name names of some of the politicians and some of the churches they belong in or whatever. And I can imagine that, I don't know if the preachers are preaching against that, because everybody that's in the church, the church can't give account for them. They may be against those they may be warning them out. God will eventually weed them out, but everybody that's in the church don't belong in the church now. And if they can't bring these spirits and these spirits under control, if they can't cast them out, they themselves will be cast out. It's like the, uh, the addict or the violent guy of Gadara that he cast all those demons out because it'll, it'll infect the whole church. It infect the whole body of Christ. That's why he says in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, no sin comes in. So you have to learn to control your talking, your attitude, dispositions. All this has to be put to death. Anything of that old man that was of the world, it has to go. You try to drum up fear in other people. You try to frighten other people. And with everything, and nowadays it goes past the argument stage to shooting and killing. It goes on. They don't just fight and, and disruptive, but they kill. And no wonder we'll, God tells us about these things. Hebrews 3.12 warns us, 
Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, that's he talking to the church. He says, Beware. Beware, be brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Why say an evil heart of unbelief? Because it starts, the seed of it that's growing in you starts from the old man. It's already there. God's supposed to have taken away and circumcised the heart. But what you don't realize is that that man didn't die. You robbing the grave. You bringing him back. You could resurrect the old man and say, well, look, you've wronged me or you've done this to me or this is me. And I've got to take up for myself. You're not going to let God take up for you. You would take up for yourself. You see what I'm saying? You didn't rob the grave and you resurrected the old man. You're not resurrecting the new man because the new man is in Christ Jesus and he handles things differently. That's the old you and you won't let him die. You keep resurrecting him, bringing him back to life. That's what makes us fearful and frightened and different things because we're still kernel, as he told the Corinthian church. Remember, say, you fight and, and argue and are you still carnal? You know, because a true Christian will say, well, look, just let him have it. You know, you remember what a woman told Solomon, just let her have the baby. You know, don't cut the baby in half. But the, the church of the people, now don't cut it in half because I want what's mine. It, 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 let's kill it. Say, so, you no, know, the true Christian or the true mother wouldn't act like that. A true Christian, it says, turns the other cheek. A true Christian says, well, let God judge. You have to suffer wrong or suffer here because a true Christian knows that God's going to pay back for all the wrong that you've done to his children. You know that God sees you and that the justice of God, that's what we were talking about, the justice of God shall find them because every man has to pay for the deeds done in his body. So if you rob me, you shortchange me. If you persecute me, anything that you've done to me, you're doing it to Christ because I can't do anything because I'm dead. Christ has to take up for me. I can't do anything. So I'm leaving it up to Christ. So that's why he, he, he says, blessed are you. That's, that was also taken up into Beatitudes. We need to be on God against unbelief. Remember the man says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. As long as you're in that body, it is self-centeredness to think that you don't still have unbelief in that that old man ain't When a man thinking he's staying, beware lest he fall. When you think you're that strong, you better be, watch yourself, Samson. Samson, you'd better beware. The, art, the author of Hebrews conjures up a picture of an enemy ready to pounce advising us that we always need to be ready for an attack because the enemy comes in when he sees a fertile ground, when it's right. Somebody's done something to you in your conscience. Don't let him off with that. Give him a piece of your mind. I wouldn't take that if I were you. Show him who you are. You would stand up for yourself. The enemy is right there. Paul said, he's in me, he said, when I attempt to do good, evil is right there present with me. It won't let me change. It's like 
they, the, the people that stop drinking alcohol uh, and your friends think it's strange you to stop that, they always go, oh, why don't you just take a little nip? It ain't going to hurt just to take a little sip. Just have a little bit. Well, you could just watch a little of this on television. Well, you can do that. It, a little of this ain't going to hurt. Always encouraging you, just a little won't hurt. We must face it and overcome it. The verse also is not talking about the normal unbelief and its fruit of fear that all people have. For fearfulness is a a common human condition. That's a common human condition, but it's a it's it comes along with the world. It comes along with the things of the world. That's why perfect love casts out all fear because perfect love is in God and it's perfected in God. You can get to the point where you don't fear death and he tells you about scorpions and all of the deadly things. It gives you to the point where you can love your enemies or whatever because you know your enemies can't do you any harm. You can give them water. You can feed them when they mistreat you because all you're doing is heaping coals upon them because they are your enemy and God had told you how to treat your enemy. So the blessing God has for me, you, you can't take those. Those can't be stolen. And who'll be cursed, he's cursed. So if I'm a child of God, I can only be blessed and grow closer to my father by following his instructions and being obedient unto him. That's why he comes to us and says, fear not. The things that you're about to go through, what they were about to go through in Babylon, what we are about to go through in the world, fear none of those things. You need to ask God to help you to go through these things. Instruct me on how to go through. And it says, rather, as our Creator God understands that doubts will creep in now and again. You know, it's always those doubts that's coming in. It wouldn't be human if they weren't there. But you can look throughout the year and see how, how much you've grown that certain doubts aren't there anymore where you are strong in certain areas that you were once weak. Now you don't, you you shouldn't take those areas for granted, but you should be pushing toward taking more ground in Christ Jesus. You should be forever pressing toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Don't ever give up ground now. Rather, it speaks of a heart controlled by doubt and by unbelief, leading to fear that can cause us to cut and run from the living God. I know God said this, but I, I, I'm afraid that if I don't do this, I can't, I'm not going to make it or whatever. So I, I can't pay my tithes. I, I can't trust God in this area because I know what this, what's going to happen. Well, you're not giving God room to work, are you? Abraham and Sarah did that. Sarah was old and they didn't see how God was good. Let me just help God. And you go in with my handmaid. That was against the laws of God. He says, you and Sarah shall have a child. So you see where the growing of faith and entrusting in God is what cast out all fear. Now it's going to be real. That's why I say real tribulation is coming upon us every day. How are we handling the trials and tribulation God is putting us through? 
are we not realizing everything we go through every day, God is sitting there watching and Satan is there and he's he's for you. But you have to be for him. You have to see when self is wrong, when self is doing the wrong thing. When self is not thinking of others first, if not putting others ahead of yourself. That kind of heart will drag a person down just as Peter's doubt drug him down into the sea where he had to say, Lord, help me. It was Peter himself caused himself to sink because he got crowded out with all of the water and the waves and the thing around him and maybe people on the boat shouting, walk Peter, do this or whatever. We, he got full of himself and his own weight carried him to the bottom and drug him down to the bottom of the Galilee Sea. The central peril of unbelief is that it breaks the trust that is the basis of our relationship with God. Notice the central peril, the central problem there of unbelief, that it breaks the trust that is the base of our relationship with God. That's why he comes to Jacob and says, Oh, Jacob, he calls him by name what he is, what his flesh is, but he says, I'm formed thee, I'm the God that had given birth to you. He says, O Jacob, he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I redeem you. I brought you, I bought you from this world with my blood. My son bought you and reconciled you unto me. You no longer belong to this world. Now when Jesus prayed, he said, keep them in the world, but keep them from the evil in the world. So we have to be trusting God and trying to see and search for God because he's not easily seen. He's not readily available. Sometimes you have to search hard and deeply. You have to search in prayer. You have to search with a warning heart. You have to search with the light of his word. But self can be illuminated. Self can be lifted up or you'll miss God looking at self. When you're going through all of this stuff, I told you in verse 2, he's going to be there, he says. We can see how this worked in Satan. If you look at Ezekiel 28 and 15, God created him, but yet somewhere along the line, he no longer believed that God was good and doubted that God had his best interests at heart. I don't know what was going on in his life, what brought this about, but some way along the line, he got to where he thought he could rule on the throne of God, and God didn't have his best interests in his heart. I know you've had children and as they become teenagers and older and older, they think that you don't have their best interests at heart by some of the things that you do or say to them. They think they know better than you and they think they know what your heart is toward them, not really knowing. And it, it's to their peril, it's to their downfall. This doubt about God's love led to the fear that he would not get what he deserved. And you remember I said God is a God of justice and we all will get what we deserve, and that's why we pray that His will be done, because His will, His promises concerning us is good, and that's what He goes on to tell Jacob, because in Him, that's why we sing praises and lift Him up, because all is His promises, yea, yea. We will get what we're struggling and work for. We know that we will get the reward. We may not get it in this life. Some of the patriarchs didn't get it in this life. But we know sooner or later he's going to give us, he's going to reward us for the fight that we're fighting for him, for the stands that we take him. 
That fear born of his unbelief and doubt led to his rebellion in the most glaring example of departing from the living God. He said that I'll be as God. I'll stand on the throne as God. And it's a many of us have departed from the church. We've left the way. And I tell you, you don't have to leave the church to leave the way. The church has become apostate. In other words, it's left the word of God to upstanding in the that's what I was telling you about the people are mad at those churches about because you allowing violence to be preached in the church, you're allowing the people to have violent tendencies, you allowing anything to go on in the churches. Same sex marriage, all of these other things are go are coming and they're not profaning. You're not looking at them as being profane. And you remember, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Does God have our best interest at heart? Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, Yes, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. My thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. We see that God has our best interest at heart. He don't have to keep repeating that, even though he repeats it so many times in his word. We have to just believe and trust and have faith that he has us in mind and that we are his children and that whatever's going on, as Job said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. As the old saying goes, this is a straight from the horse's mouth. It's from the highest authority. God tells us that he loves us with an ever-loving love that he loves us with that same love that he loved Jesus. Uh, the only question is, do we believe that with every fiber of our being, we can't let other people and things cause us not to believe that he loves us and that we believe in the depths of the love of, of God. Just how deeply do God love us? Let's look at John 13, 17 and 23. He says... I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfect and completed into one, so that the world may know that without any doubt that you sent me, that's Jesus, he says, that you sent me, and that you have loved them just as you loved me. Let the world know that you love me, just love the disciples just as you love me. You look, we are joint heirs with Christ. He loves us with that same love. There's no differentiation in the love that God has for us than he had with Jesus. It's the same love. I, you know, if you have multiple children, it's hard for them to understand that you love all your children the same. You love all your children the same. Yes. Christ has that same love that God has. John 15 and 13 says, no one has greater love or stronger commitment than to lay down his life for his friends. That's how much he loved us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That he was going to bring us into fellowship and reconcile us unto God. That he was going to redeem us and bring us back. And he knew he was going to be the author and the finisher of our faith. That, he, that we will be complete in him. So we have to strive. We have to overcome sin in the flesh. We can't let it harbor a linger in us. That's, that's going to call for a, a hatred of self. Jesus said you have to hate mother, father, sister, brother, 
of your own self to be my disciple. In other words, whatever it is that's not right, that's why, you know, as a pastor, I can't show partiality in the church between one member and another or between a member and someone outside the church. I have to stand up just as much for those outside the church as I do inside the church. I can't let you make accusations and allegations unsubstantiated against someone else just as I can't allow it in the home. Anytime a father does that, then he's not as God because God says it rains on the just and the unjust. God gives to all. God loves all. Uh, and, and Christ have us, believing those words, faith in that perfect love will cast out all fear. If we have faith in those words of God and of Christ, it casts out any fear that we should have. Perfect love casts out all fear. First uh, John 14 and First John 4 and 18. Hold on to that. Or destroy your amen. It'll kill your rejoicing or whatever. The world's trying to snuff that out. You get under the weight of the problems of the world and then you blame the church, you blame God or something else and you lose your, you leave your first love. You start living the world of the things of the world more than God. I said First John 4 and 18. It says, First John 4 and 18, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casted out fear because fear had torment. And because that fear is not made perfect in love. So I say perfect love casted out. Why are we so fearful? That's what he asked his disciples on the book. Why are you so fearful? We have nothing to fear as God is our Father. If Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, what have we to be afraid of? Not with all of his promises. That, so we can say, as David said and did, he says, how many will quote this from it? Psalm 23 and 4. He says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I will fear no evil because you are with me. So why are you frightful and afraid of, the, afraid of the things in the world or the things that's going on? What could happen to you? What might happen to you? Remember Job says, that which I had feared had come upon me. That was part of God's cleansing and purging process to where he would stop fearing something happening to him and let, let it happen. And after it happened, you'll see that God was with you through the loss of your children, through the loss of all these things, and then he could give it back to you. So why was you freeing from that? Now you can say with confidence, the Lord give it and the Lord take it away. You didn't bring nothing here. You may not take nothing out of here. The sin of fear, Revelation 28 and 8 says, but the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable murderers and hobogners and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Where are they to have their part? The fearful. If you're fearful, you can't glorify God correctly. 
because people will see Satan in you because that's what drives fear. That's why the ones in the churches, that's why national Christianity, people aren't afraid of them being children of God. People despise that kind of Christianity. And God says it causes my name to be blaspheming among you. Personal integrity and practice of all of these things. Oh, I'm reading that in the Amplified. Let me stop there. I don't need to read. I was try, just trying to get the first part of that verse that the fearful will not enter into the kingdom of God. He told Gideon, go down there. Out of those 32,000 men, ask how many are fearful among them. And those that are fearful among them, you tell to go home. Out of 32,000, 22,000 was fearful. Now, I don't mean that afraid of fighting and want to fight and instigate and all that. But fear is something else. This, this fear here is a fear of something dreadful happening to you. A fear that you can't trust God uh, that you can't operate by his instructions or, or what, like I say, fear shows lack of faith of uh, either doubting God that he's not going to take care of you in any and all situation. Uh, what causes the sin of fear? The second item listed in Revelation 21 and 8 points to the answer. Unbelief. Unbelief. You remember we were talking about that in Hebrew, an evil heart of unbelief. See, not to you, you, you doubting can, can God take me through this? Can you remember the people? It was a sin because they say, Well, can God provide meat in the wilderness? Can God provide water? Can God do all these things? <coughs> but notice what fear does and does to those around you by they being fearful and challenging God in pressing on Moses, it caused Moses to be angry instead of speaking the rock, speaking to the rock. He smote the rock. He, so his actions because of the people angering him and upsetting him, God says, you can't go into the promised land, not Moses. Moses asked several times about this, but that was a transgression of God because it was a lack of believing God. It didn't give God a chance to be glorified. When we try to do it our way and show that we're strong enough, huh, you rebels, and he says, shall we bring forth water? And he's what? Smoke the rock. God says, just speak to the rock, Moses. Speak to the rock and water will come out. If you would just speak to it. See, Jesus said, if you speak to this mountain, it will move. Speaking is having faith that God will do the work. If you, That's why when preaching the gospel and witnessing the gospel, all we have to do is speak the word. That's what he told Jesus. All you have to do is speak the word. It is the spirit that gets it accomplished. But he's the vessel that, we work, that he works through. Psalm 78 and 13 through 16 gives an example of how this works. He says, this is from the living version. For he divided the sea before them and led them through. 
the water stood up like walls beside them. In the daytime, he led them by a cloud, and at night by a pillar of fire. He spit open the rocks in the wilderness to give them plenty of water as from a gushing spring. He made streams pour from the rock, making the waters flow down like rivers. All of these are lists of miracles he did for the people. (coughs) This is a list of miracles God performed to provide for the needs of the people. Throughout your life, I don't know how many miraculous things uh, that you can look back and see that it was God that provided for you in times that maybe something happened and somebody gave you to do something, but you know it was God that it instructed. It was only God that brought that about. You give God the glory. It might have come through an individual or through something else, but you know it was the work of God. It was God's hand. Continuing in Psalm 78, though, 1721, we see Israel's response to God's clear display of his love and his care for them. He says, yet they kept on with their sin, rebelling against the most high in the desert. They willfully tested God in their hearts, demanding the foods that they crave. You remember they asked, well, we need meat. You can do all that. Can you give us meat? They even spoke against God, saying to himself, Can God give us food in the desert? Yes, he can strike a rock so water gushes out, but he can't give his people bread and meat. When the Lord heard them, he was angry, and the fire of his wrath burned against Jacob. Yet his anger arose against Israel, because they were in the flesh. They wasn't being content of trusting and believing in God that unbelief, they kept wanting God to prove himself through some sign of miracles, though he had did all of those miracles. And it happens more or less a lot of times to older people. As you get older and older in life, sometimes you demand more and more of God, or you want to see God do things in the eve of your life instead of just trusting and glorifying God and speaking to the younger generation or the other people of how God had brought you thus far and what God is doing in your life. Even though God had provided water in abundance, they were afraid that he would not be able to provide provide even more, that he couldn't provide meat. What was the basis of this cause? It was for fear of lack, a fear of not having, a fear of, of, of not having something that they actually wanted, that they flush crave. He was given a manna that was angel food, but their fear of not getting what they wanted. The answer follows in Psalm 48, 78 and 22. He says, for they did, did not believe God or trust him to care for them. And you know, that's what Delilah accused Samson of. Well, you don't love me. You won't do this. You won't tell me where your strength lies. People want you to test. People want to see the action. They can't just wait and say, well, God's going to make a way. I trust God to make a way. I'm going to do this or do what I should do. I'm going to do or follow the instructions of God, but I need to leave room for God to work. I need to trust God to provide. 
and I can't say or put God to the test. They were putting God to the test. Well, if I'm a child of God, this should happen to me. And that's what the faith churches and some of the churches say. Well, you shouldn't have lack. You should have victory over this. You should do this. No, sometimes God may want it for you to suffer. Sometimes God has it to where someone gets the best of you. Sometimes God says, blessed that these people have persecuted you and did you all manner wrong. He said, blessed of you when people say all manner of evil against you. You remember, David learned that lesson later in life. And he says, well, God maybe had told him to curse me. But Shimei, I wanted to go and cut his head off. Sometimes you have to allow yourself to be hung on a cross and murdered. And while you all the while innocent, you saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It's not about you. It's about God. After all God did for them, they still could not muster the necessary faith and trust in God and love for him. And it took Abraham some 35 years to develop that faith to really trust God. That's when he went to kill Isaac. But a lot of us don't have that faith to even get half that for. But we have to have the faith of our father Abraham. We have to be the, the have faith. Uh, when push comes to shove, do we got, believe God's promises or are we like Moses at the Red Sea when he was crying and praying to God and God says, what's that in your hand, Moses? And he says, a rod. He said, well, stretch out the rod and get crossed. Sometimes we need to be working and doing more things that God had told us to instead of crying and complaining to God. Why are you crying to me? Stretch forth the rod and go cross. He's giving you all you need. And he has given us that faith. He said, it is finished. All we have to do is walk therein. But it's going to be people that tell you, you can't walk therein. You can't live all that. You can't live a, a, a sinless life. We can continue to pull off the old man. We may not be sinless. But we could keep pulling off the old man and becoming overcomers and get away from you with your doubt and mistrust of God. Do we trust in the extent of his care and love for us? John 17 and 23, that he will come to our aid. I read 17 and 23 to you earlier. And David also, that God will come to our aid. That's Psalm 34. Uh, for what was God's response to the Israelites' display of fear? It says the fire of the wrath of God burned against them because of their fear. Because of the fear, and they shouldn't have been fear. It foreshadows Revelations 28, 21 and 8. The fearful, fearful shall not inherit. They shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You have to overcome the fears of this life. You have, fear is not a complete control of belief in God. Uh, fire is the response to God's fear from who does not change. Hold on, I did. Malachi 3 and 6 says, And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerer, and against the adulterer, and against 
uh, false swears and against those that oppress the hireling in its wages, the widow, the fathers, and that that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, said the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob, you are not consumed. Uh, so God doesn't change, and he's come forth with a refining fire to judge those in judgment that are transgressing his word, and we know judgment begins at the house of God. So we will have a purging within the house of God because in that day when the kingdom is here, we'll be able to trust each and every one of brethren because we know that they have made the test and that they love truly and that we don't have to fear backbiting, hatred, resentment, or bitterness when everything will be true. But until that time, we have to be very circumspective. Fear then is a result of lack of faith, not believing in God's power and especially his love and willingness to act on our behalf. You don't think that he would act on your behalf if he truly loves you, that he would allow these things to happen to you. Now, it may be a, a, a wisdom or understanding of the knowledge of God that are lacking in certain situations or whatever that you had prepared yourself to meet God because like I said, when you declare to be a Christian, that's when your neighbors and friends and everything are going to pull you down because you don't know that they are the ones that's not believing in God. They're not going to church. They're not fearing God. All of their actions is, is pulling you down and you can't see it and they can't see it. They're blinded and you don't know God so you don't know what weights and sins that's besetting you and what's robbing you of your spiritual strength. But the demons and things can see the anointing of the blessing upon you and when they attach themselves to you, you're not strong enough to shed them and carry that load so you that smile is no longer there. That happiness. You remember I say, God gives you peace and joy. But now you're irritable with everyone around you. Nobody can be in peace around you because you're destructive. It's something that vexes you or whatever. And it's these spirits that vex you. Remember the demon I gave him? I told you the spirits would vex him. This world could be very vexing and frustrating and poor. That's why it says love not the world nor the things of the world. Because that's a portal into destroying your spiritual life and the cause of fear, a fear of lacking, a fear that comes from covetousness and self-centeredness. The fearful are that way because of a lack of faith. Christ reveals this connection in Mark 4, 44 and 40. He says, but he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? A lack of faith is fear and it shows Christ sees it Christ rebukes it everybody else sees it the devil sees it everybody can see it and that's a way into your life to bring unbelief and bring doubt and further bring you away from God and all of these things God has put in the world that you would overcome them and they wouldn't overcome you 
So Job's friend was friends or whatever. But if Job would have acquiesced or listened to his friends, he'd have been dragged down right along with them. And someone would have had to pray for him instead of him praying for his friends. Because he told them, a miserable lot, a miserable bunch of friends you are. He found out truly what they were. And that was weights and sins. When Christ saw fear, his immediate response was to question that person's faith. When he saw somebody fearful, the first thing he would do, fear is a very human reaction, I tell you, and that shows humanism and not spiritualism. We're supposed to be becoming spiritual and not carnal. Paul was afraid of the Corinthians because he says, are you not yet carnal? You bite and devour, you have divisions and quarrels among you. As Christ indicates, how we respond depends upon our degree of faith. Older people, the people that's been in the church, should be more temperate and grave. Less given to anger or outburst or easily offended or allow sin to really throw them off so fast. You notice old people are more or less set in their way. They don't get discombobulated. My father was that way, and that was because of a weak spiritual life, a very weak spiritual life. Things would throw him in a cataclysmic cataclysmic rage sometimes. When faith is weak or non-existent, fear becomes the controlling factor rather than faith. When faith is weak or non-existent, fear becomes a controlling factor. And that was what Cain liked. He didn't trust or believe God, and sin was trying to control him. But he says, you must master over it. You must rule over sin. Sin has a desire for you. That's just like he told Eve. She said, told Adam that her desire shall be to you. A woman to this day always tries to control her husband. But God had given him authority or him control. If you go to a home or you go to someone that man doesn't have control that's because of a lack of faith of belief in Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ is not his head, is not is the, not the leader of his, his home. We believe, to, we believe to live by sight and not by faith. And without faith, we cannot be saved. Now, I, I said that first. I said believe. I said we be, what happens is we begin to live by sight and not by faith. We have to live by faith and not by sight. Some things we see, they may not be, we can't live off, or we can't be a result-oriented society. We have to have a, a faith of a say, God said do it this way, and if we do it this way, we'll get the right result because God's responsible for that result. Yes. And without faith, we cannot be saved. He says, and to whom did he swear that they should not enter into his rest? But to those that did not obey him, those that were not obedient. He says, you shall not enter into my rest. So we were to see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. You remember I told you, unbelief was central to a lack of faith. And as we see in Hebrews 3, 3, 18 through 19, 
they failed to enter into the promised land uh, into God's rest. Well, Christ is God's rest for us. Our rest is the kingdom of God. That's why we pray, Thy will be done, Thy kingdom come. That's where justice will be in God's kingdom. Everything will be made right. He says, He will bring justice to the earth when the earth become the kingdoms of God. That's where our rest is in Christ. He says, He that is heavy laden, come unto me and rest. He says, I'll give you rest. All those that are burdened and cast your cares, all of this upon me, come unto me and rest. We can rest in Christ. Just as a lack of faith or unbelief barred ancient Israel from entering their rest, a lack of faith can bar us from entering ours, keeping us out of the family of God because fearful cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The cowardice, those that are fretful, those that are, uh, are not trusting and believing God. He told Joshua, be strong and of, of a good courage. So as I was with Moses, I shall be with you. Christ has promised to never leave us and to never forsake us. So we have to trust in him. He says, fear not, Jacob. Fear not, O Israel. I have come to thee. I have redeemed thee. I bought you back. To redeem means to buy back. You remember Boaz redeemed Ruth's field? He bought Ruth's, the whole possession of what would blown it to Naomi through her husband who had died. You remember? Under two sons. But Ruth came and he said, you must redeem Ruth and all that. Well, we were a type of Ruth because what did Ruth say? Your God will be my God and your people will be my people. So in necessity, the baby that Ruth had, you remember, she put him in Naomi's lap or whatever because it's a sign of us being birthed into the kingdom. Now Ruth labored in the fields and the vineyard or whatever, but now she has rest in Boaz. She's married a wealthy person. Well, we've married, we become married to Jesus Christ. We are the brides of Christ. So we may labor and suffer and have problems down here on the earth, but being married as the bride of Christ, all rewards and riches, he said, I'm coming quickly and my reward's with you. So we don't expect it in this life, even though some may get it in this life, may enter into some rewards. But God's going to reward us for everything done unto us, and for everything we will be rewarded according to our good our deeds. That's why we continue to do good deeds, and we fear not. We're not a fearful people. Be strong and of a good courage.